right, we're back with uh, another episode of the Saxo Market Call. And today it's going to be, I think, quite interesting because we are not going to talk about financial markets per se. I'm, I'm joined here with Steen Jacobson, our Chief Investment Officer. And um, we recently launched the Outrageous Predictions, which you can find on home.saxo. Um, there's a, you can easily go there and find our Outrageous Predictions. So home.saxo are under inspiration. And we also talked about it on this podcast, uh, our own eight uh, outrageous predictions ideas, which uh, I, uh, many of them are quite interesting, especially the one on AI deepfakes. Um, but go read those if you want. And we we also put out a competition where we um, we tried to drum up some energy from our uh, from our clients, uh, and we had hundreds and hundreds of outrageous predictions from our clients. But there was one in particular that uh, we singled out, uh, which is the topic of today. And that is from Jeff from uh, from England, and it goes something like uh, this. It's a little bit long, so I'll try to to simplify it. Um, the outrageous prediction is essentially that government will abandon the the gross domestic product um, as the um, sort of the overall objective for steering the economy and doing your policies, um, as there are social and environmental. Um, Factors that are not taken into account when you only steer after uh, a global, uh, sorry, a gross domestic product. So that's what we're going to disgusting. Um, I know that there's been a discussion previously. Can it actually capture the digital world? And I think that's a completely separate discussion because Jeff here in this case is focusing on I don't know. Can you call it external externalities if you don't if you only focus on GDP? Um, not really. No. Not, at least not external, because no. it's, of course, GDP, by definition, is the definition of the whole. Yeah. Uh, and I think that is really Jeffrey's point that, uh, I mean, he has a number of good points uh, from Jeff. Uh, one is that GDP, so Jeff mentions war and defense spending as something that is measured one-to-one uh, independently of the social uh destruction it can it can actually uh, create uh, it's it all create equal uh, government spending which I think it's is a bigger issue we uh, treat uh, government GDP or government production the same as with the private sector but you and I know the reason why you an equity guy of course is that the return on invested capital in the private sector is significantly higher than in the in, in, in the public sector and as such we should probably weight uh, fiscal spending lower in terms of impact relatively to the overall GDP. So it's absolutely clear that, that, that Jeff has a valid point on, on a number of accounts, but one, that it doesn't measure anything really. It just measures the totality of the economy in terms of what is being produced. Uh, and unfortunately, we economists have a tendency to use this as a, as a guideline and as a peg for where the global economy goes. Of course, there is, and, and anyone listening to this program knows this, that the, the link between the actual economy and the uh, growth and the stock market or the bond market is becoming less and less correlated simply because we live in a more leveraged world. So we live we live in a world where uh, leverage times GDP really means nothing in economic terms, which is also for, for the record the, the way I feel. But the second point, and, and more important uh, to, to, to give Jeff's uh, piece some uh, some uh, some some of his own wording here, I, I want, want a number of the example he mentions is that we should measure, or if we could measure, uh, the social impact, the uh, environmental impact of a certain amount of activity into kind of an in- index or a matrix that would be possible. He also does mention that, you know, the way that some governments are trying to do this among this this recent 
resource tax that the EU is introducing in, 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 in this quarter. Uh, the problem with that is actually you're just recycling capital into the same concept of uh, doing it. You're really doing it to penalize people, not to create a, a, a long and, and mandated uh, needed change. Yeah, because <clears throat> GDP uh, was a measure that came about after the or during the Great Depression, where it it came to the realization of policymakers and governments that how the hell, sorry, my pardon my French, do you actually govern or steer an economy? How do you steer uh, or allocate you know, resources in society? And it came up as a measure, as you say, to define the whole, to get an idea of if we do this, you know, do we expand the whole? And if we expand the whole, then the premise or the assumption is then we'll have more value, we'll have more we can redistribute to society. And if it, GDP goes up, everyone will be better off, et cetera, et cetera. And that is the reason why if we abandon the GDP at one point, it would be outrageous because it's the the key underlying policy steering that we have in our in our global economy. All central banks, all economists are brought up with the idea about uh, GDP. So it would be outrageous if we suddenly said, okay, well, let's steer after something else or trying to be smarter about it, which I hear that's what you're saying. I mean, maybe it's too simplistic. Yeah, I mean, I'll give you uh, how mis- misguided it can be in terms of uh, right now in the market, you have that the nominal GDP is, is running uh, due to high inflation or uh, is running relatively high. It's running at uh, you know, 4, 5%, probably coming down to 3% in 24. But GNI, which is the gross national income, so you're only measuring the total income, is uh, running uh, 300, 400 basis points below and actually been negative for a couple of quarters. So if if I was uh, in the camp uh, of calling for a recession in 23, I would have argued that I mean, in GNI terms, it was already there, and GNI is probably a better management. But I think just going back to the one-on-one economics, so GDP can be split into a number of factors, which is uh, you know trade, uh, invisibles, which is the the amount of financial transaction. It is the production. It is inside the production. It's investment. It's the value of what goes on. But but uh, sounding like a broken record here, I mean, if you take it all in, and I'm I've been offering a number of people an economics degree in ten minutes because it's pretty simple. If you separate the factors that are non-cyclical, um, if you uh, you really end up just with productivity, you know, all the things that you want. If you want to reduce inequality, if you want to make a more so- uh, socially just uh, system, if you want to allocate capital to things that actually makes the world go forward. You should just measure GDP, uh, sorry, uh, productivity in terms of what goes on. We should train school children, we should train uh, marriage counselors, we should train everybody to always just ask the question, what is the most productive way of uh, continuing this conversation, you know, even in, in marriages that is uh, that that is that is uh, struggling? Because, you know, if, if you go for the concept of always thinking about productivity, you cannot fail and the economy can never reverse backwards because definition of productivity is that the marginal cost of capital uh, is lower than the marginal uh, return on capital, uh, which means that society actually grows. And in a productivity sense, and that's where I think we can connect Jeff with productivity. If we forget all about GDP, but just say, you know, let the economists run with the GDP, but in real terms, in terms of the policy allocation you ask about, if we go to a, 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 a new format that is we measure productivity as the driver of our uh, ambitions and plan for, for Denmark, for, for the UK or anything else, it will totally change the, this, the, the way we construct it. Because in that case, 
you know, everything that is public and, and transferred uh, will lose uh, absolute value. There's no productivity. There is a social element, and, and we totally accept that, but it will be what it is, and we will measure it as it should be measured, which is a sunken cost into society. Today, it looks like, you know, if you have a, have a, a country, you know, even Denmark, close to 50% of Denmark is employed by the public sector directly and indirectly. If we reduce that, our productivity will go through the roof. Uh, and and the, I think I'll, I'll want to go back to one of your points because um, I was just reminded as you were talking, Steen. I mean, you know, in a simplistic world, if I was sort of a, a socialist dictator, and you know, I look at GDP. I mean, as you said, okay, if that was my only objective, I could just easily increase government expenditures on the military, for instance, uh, from one year to another, and I'll get a huge bump uh, up in in GDP. And I'll just to finance that, I'll just cut you know, all education, right? That's, then I don't blow out my, my budget. But there is this these hidden underlying dynamics and causal factors that you always bring up as well to productivity and future well-being. You know, you can increase education and that will actually have a far higher impact on GDP and potential wealth long into the future. But you have to be patient because, you know, it takes, takes what, 18 years to, um, to educate a, a young person through their life and then they're ready to enter the labor force, right? Um, and I think that's interesting, but because so, so there is, if you if you're simplistic about GDP, there are many shortcuts that can lead to to bad things. Because if you do too much fiscal spending, you can end up like Argentina, right? I mean, normal GDP is just growing rapidly, but uh, then you need to have a good proxy for inflation. And and if you and then if you probably look at GNI, then Argentina has been a disaster for for many years, right? Yeah, absolutely, uh, and and that's that's the point. So so I think that. Uh That the, the point here is that the world needs to change. So it, it is outrageous to go away for GDP because that is the market-based economy. But if you look at the fragmentation that goes on in the world, uh, most of these fragment, uh, fragmentation economies that we that, that we monitor, the new super bricks, most of them have, you know, diplomatically a constitution that is significantly weaker than we at least are used to in the Northern Europe. It's countries that is uh, going after... One thing only, which is uh, reducing its input cost in terms of resources, and it's economies which is trying to keep a certain level of activity in terms of employment because that is the social contract in the context of China that you have with your people. Uh, but they they are not really focused on 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 GDP. They are just focused on strategically positioning themselves. So the world is is turning towards Jeff's call anyway. But I think the bigger points of Jeff uh, that we get, got to give, give some credit to is that he also says that you know one thing is measured wrong, but also what is what is going wrong if you keep doing what you do in terms of this, like his defense spending, uh, and 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 you say on the other side, if we don't invest enough in education, which is upfront is a sunken cost, but something and the only thing that really in- improves productivity. Um, And, and, you know, there's been done a lot of productivity studies and, and most people in the equity market seem to think it is that you can get your underwear delivered uh, one day early by an Amazon <laughs> drone is productivity. But the real productivity sits in getting cleaner water more efficiently, uh, uh, improving the desalination process, uh, in getting computer power that will increase the likelihood of us getting the marginal cost of energy to zero. Cheaper energy, yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, and and I think, uh, for the record, I think inside the next 10 years, we will get marginal cost of energy to zero simply because we need it. And because, as per what Jeff says also, that the way we measure, the way we act, and the way we produce today is entirely driven by the wrong metric. 
I'm not sure I necessarily have, and I don't need to. Uh, Jeff, Jeff, I'm sure is much smarter than me, but 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 I'm not sure I truly get that we need to sit at judges against what is right and what is wrong. I think let's productivity dictate that because that is a market-based way of doing it. But I fully accept that, you know, for me, it's more about the public versus the private sector, which I think uh, in the new BRICS, super BRICS, it's all dominant by state-owned enterprises, which means that the world is moving to consumption of more capital per output growth that you have, whatever way you want to measure it. And increasingly the whole Vogue uh, movement and ESG and everything else also become misplaced. It's kind of interesting. They also measure the wrong thing. They measure the uh, amount of headlines and the amount of uh, guaranteed issues instead of looking at do we actually increase the capacity of the grid? Do we actually uh, partake in a process of making the marginal cost of energy go down? I think, again, going back to your point, the only way we get the marginal cost of energy down, the only way we really solve for what is an a inherently big problem, the, the, the heating up of the world, we need to go to something like fusion energy, a combination of, of all the other energies that is available, small nuclear reactors. If we go to that, all of a sudden we move from something driven by philosophical, practical uh, voter getting uh, uh, strategies to something where it's entirely driven, not by market necessarily, but driven by the necessity to get the market cost of, uh, of uh, energy down. Good point, Steen. And uh, I want to bring in another point about this whole TDP. Um, John Byrne uh, Murdoch, I think he's an opinion opinion writer. I think maybe, uh, or at least he, he's involved with the uh, with the Financial Times in England, and um, he's made some different commentaries lately. And I think some of them are actually related a little bit to GDP. So one of them being that if you take the life expectancy of all individuals in England and the United States at each fraction across the income distribution, then what you find is actually that England has a higher life expectancy. For the bottom one percent, the life difference—the um, life expectancy difference there—is five years. But even at the very high end of the society, where the Americans are significantly more wealthy than the uh, than the um, than the British people, and across the whole spectrum, and the U.S. has a GDP and especially GDP per capita and PPP adjusted, far more richer than England. But on a very key metric of you know, life expectancy, and you can find many other metrics, they're actually behind. England and I, and and I think it's 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 just an interesting topic that uh, you know again GDP is just one indicator but uh, I guess if you're a macroeconomist there are many ways to measure the success of a society. Yeah, and and I think that is Jeff's point. Uh, and if you did the same for France, France would have a you know relatively low GDP per capita output, but they will in terms of life expectancy have a much higher one. They eat more healthily and. And the health system in France is uh, is uh, in many ways superior, certainly to the U.S., but also even superior to the to the Scandinavian model, which is deemed to be the best, which is not the case. But uh, so I think uh, it's actually a very good way of measuring. Some people also use the Gini Gini coefficient, which is the inequality in society as a measurement of, you know, uh, the opposite of growth. How how do you actually create that? But I think. However we discuss and how long we discuss this, at the end of the day, if you look at the richest countries in GDP per capita, in Gini coefficients, in what I think you also need in press freedom slash uh, uh, degrees of uh, democracy, the richest country in the world, except for the 
one-offs, which is the resource economies in, in the Middle East. I think the richest country that doesn't have anything to sell from the ground, they are all characterized by having an extremely strong constitution. So the access to education, the access to healthcare, the access to a legal system that will give you a day in court is the number one driver of growth. Secondly, most of these economies are productive economies, not by definition of GDP, but simply because you have businesses in the in the organic structure of business that is opening their opening their doors every day, competing on a global scene. And the only way they actually survive is by being the most productive. Uh, the case of Switzerland, the case of Denmark, the case of uh, you know Australia to some extent now having a big revival, not only in resources but overall. So I think it's pretty clear what it takes, and and I think we should, you know, aligning and and and, and concluding on sort of Jeff and what needs to happen. I think we need to include more factors. I, I think it would be very difficult to go to a system that uh, Jeff suggests that tobacco, uh, defense spending, and other things should be measured uh, significantly differently. But if we start to measure the productivity of what goes on, some of the military spending is actually very conducive and positive for the private sector. We wouldn't have GPS, we wouldn't have Velcro, we wouldn't have a number of things if it wasn't for the military sector. But but I think uh, he's, he's absolutely right. There's also a, a negative convexity that needs to be priced into uh, to military spending because it is uh, ultimately done to protect your country. And, and, and that's a whole philosophical discussion. Is defense spending per definition negative because you go to war or is it a necessity in a world that is getting fragmented to opt that cost relative to everything else in order to secure that you actually never go to war? But now it becomes really holistic and, and philosophical. But I totally accept and I think Jeff's uh, point is not only valid and probably to some extent we should publish uh, his his full uh, letter uh, in combination with the uh, as a PDF uh, with the uh, with 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 this uh, podcast because I, I think it's an interesting uh, uh, point. Yeah, and indeed outrageous. But um, I think we are we're coming to the end of the podcast, and I think I like the way you uh, you 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 try to wrap the end of the um, wrap the end of this uh, this podcast on a positive note and. Yes, we cannot uh, simplify economics, and there are more factors. And I really like, you know, let's end on a on a note where it's, you know, have a strong uh, constitution, have uh, a focus on productivity, education, and uh, and measure, you know, the strength of an economy on many other different things than uh, than just GDP. I think makes uh, makes a lot of sense. Um, and and most importantly, which is also Jeff's point, let's focus, let's put people in 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 the middle. People are the productive factors. People are the one that can make the boundaries uh, uh, for the future. Uh, they are the one that takes the initiative. And end of the day, they're also the voters. Great. Thank you, Steen. I always love these conversations, and uh, I hope you enjoyed this as well. And thank you for listening. We'll be back soon.